Chris Evans here. A big thank you for downloading our Virgin Radio podcast. Coming up on this week's edition of the Best of the Breakfast Show with Sky, the amazing Phoebe Waller-Bridge chats her new book, Fleabag, The Scriptures. The one and only John Bon Jovi discusses his new single, Limitless. Hugh Bonneville celebrates a century of cinema with Leicester Square's new Scenes in the Square art installation. And Pixar's Dan Scanlon and Corey Ray tell us all about their latest animation, Onward. Plus, Dr. Rongan Chatterjee, Daniel Levitin, and so much more all on the way. You can forget the man with the golden gun. Our next guest is the girl with the golden touch. Her book, Fleabag, The Scriptures, is out now and already a smash hit Sunday Times bestseller. Please welcome the lady we all have to thank for the hot priest. It's the fantastic Phoebe Waller-Bridge. Yes! How are you? You look great. <laughs> Thanks. You look like you had fun last night. Yes, well, I did. Thank you very much indeed. Um, t- tell me about a vodka gimlet. Um, well, it perks you right up. What is a gim- um, what, what, is, what is the gimlet aspect of the vodka gimlet? Um, I think it's... The, well, I know that it's just a, shot of, a couple of shots of vodka, fresh lime juice and yeah. a little bit of sugar syrup. I don't know what the gimlety bit is. Maybe it, the sugar... Who, who, is the, who, is the, uh, who is the pusher? The pusher was actually my agent... Uh, <laughs> who? Uh, who? Is that what you meant? Who yeah, made the me Gimlet pusher. Yeah, yeah. Gimlet was my agent. Right. Yeah. Where? When? For ages. Was the first it Gimlet was... ever. Well, actually, I just saw her have one, and it just looked so damn chic. And she ordered it with such um, elegance, panache, and elegance, and with immediacy. You know, and someone's like, "What do you want to drink?" She was like, "I want a vodka Gimlet with sugar syrup and fresh lime." Sometimes you have to specify, and uh, and I was so blown away by just the chicness of it all. Is it, it your go-to it still? Yeah. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Okay. So. Fleabag, the scriptures, okay, the mm. book. Um, this was out last year, mm. but but you're around again with it now. Um, how, how come you're all excited about it again? Why not, of course, but why particularly? I love the book. I love that. <laughs> I love that people can read. They're called read-alongs. You know about this. So marvelous Mira, who's producing the show today, uh, she did a read-along. Huh. So you watch, you watch Fleabag and you read along. Oh, my God. Do you not know this? <laughs> no. That's what people do. Do they? It's like I the drinking a... game with Withdale and I. I got a sent, I got a sent a video from a friend of mine, um, of him, and he came back to his flat and a lot of people were, do, were reading in his flat. They were sat around reading the dinner party scene and they did the whole first episode over their own dinner party. That was the best feeling in the world. Um, I think there is something really fun. I, I remember reading um, s- scripts of movies that I love for the first time and it is a completely different experience experience because you just suddenly your own imagination kicks into gear you you realize what the actors were doing and what every other aspect of it brings to it but you can also take your time with yeah. with um with the meaning of it what was the best script you've ever read or or observed on the telly or in the cinema that that's not yours the best thing ever the best thing ever ever, ever. Oh, God, I'm so bad at these on the spot. Oh, sorry. I know it's rubbish. It's a rubbish God. question, actually, isn't it? I just <laughs> I thought you good. might have been asked it before. I wish I had. Uh, did you like uh, with Nail and I? You like with Nail Oh, my God, that's a really good one. You Thank go. you. Thank you. I love that one. I've not actually read the screenplay for that. I would love to read the screenplay for that. OK, you say when you're writing, you feed off pressure and you, you re- pressure is good for you. Um, how to Tell people listening a, a little bit of a take home, if you don't mind, uh, how, to, how, to, how to use pressure as fuel. Gosh, um, I think, I mean, I, I burn myself out doing it, so I don't know if this is a tip. 
<laughs> this is just how I get there. I think making sure that you've done the the foundation. Like I have so many. I have a kind of murderer, serial killer, murderer's wall in my uh, room and at my office of just so many jokes, post-it notes, uh, no everything on the wall. So I know that the foundation is in my head and on my wall. And then by the time it gets to the night before, um, you've just got to forget it all, trust that it's all there, and then just write to surprise yourself and make yourself laugh. And you say panic, panic, hope. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that is that, that, that is the process. Okay, so when you when you couldn't get arrested, right? When you were trying to act and you've been to drama college and all this kind of stuff, what 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 was the tipping point? What was the was there a eureka moment? Was there a moment when you woke up um, that, that morning and you thought today's the day? Was there something in the air? What about when I when things changed? Yeah. I uh, no, it was meeting Vicky Jones, who's my best friend and who I started uh I couldn't I mean I honestly couldn't get a job uh until I mean you cut my hair and then I got a job. <laughs> but um but I also just really wanted to just there was one thing about not getting a job and not getting an acting job, but I just wanted to be in the world. I wanted to be around writers and just be making stuff and flexing the muscles a little bit. Um, and I met Vicky and uh, she was directing an ex-boyfriend of mine in a pub, like above, uh, like in a theatre above a pub. And I kind of went up to her afterwards and was like, oh, if you ever, ever need anyone to do anything, like pull a curtain or anything, can you um, call me? And she did. And she then put me in a play, which was a disaster, but we both left that play and uh, and became great friends. And then we set up our theatre company together. And then just on a monthly basis, we were just producing new writing and working with new writers. She'd been working at the Royal Court, so she knew loads of writers. I knew loads of actors. And everyone's so desperate to make stuff. And the moment we found uh, this pub, the George Tavern in East London, they gave us a room upstairs, which had, you know, like a dead owl in the corner and a hole in the floor. It was a total fire trap. But we went in and they gave us the space and we just kept making stuff. And... The excitement around that um, was was when I realised actually you can like you can build it. Oh, so when you find your voice, so so when you you hit the ground running, so so you you start to make stuff, and then does do you feel something light up inside you that you hadn't felt before, and then you get to a certain sort of a rate and range, and you 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 think oh my goodness me this was always there, and now we're off and we're running. Well, I felt. So for the first like year or two of doing the monthly like shorts nights, all the we'd ask like ten writers to come and this is relevant. We'd ask we'd ask like ten to fifteen writers to write a ten minute play for us, like with a certain brief. Like how do you make an audience fall in love with a character under five minutes? How do you make an audience forgive a character a heinous crime and all this kind of thing. And uh, there was one night and all the writers would submit their work anonymously. So no one knew who wrote what, even though they knew which writers were writing on the night. And there was one night when we were down one piece and the brief was to try and get an audience to heckle without knowing, without them knowing that's what they're supposed to do there. Oh, and so there was lots of really provocative writing. And, uh, and I had an idea for one. And I remember saying to Vicky, because we were one piece down, and she was like, oh, what are we going to do? We need to get another writer. And I was like, I have an idea. And she was like, do it, write it now. And uh, and I wrote it, and I acted in it, and it went down well. And in that moment, when it was going down well, I looked, when people were laughing and heckling, and I looked around to Vicky, and she was sat at the back of the audience looking at me with these big eyes going, holy. <laughs> and I was like, oh, God. And then I really got the bug then, and then I just write, was writing and writing and writing short plays, and always with Vicky helping me and directing everything that okay, I did. Okay, and do, do, do you ever fear that leaving you now? 
Oh, crikey, I've never thought. Not until, sorry, not until sorry, now. Sorry, sorry. It can go. Where did it all go it wrong? It can leave me. <laughs> Another thing that can leave me. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky on Virgin Radio. The mere mention of his name sends millions into collective meltdown. The new single Limitless is out now and their 15th album is just around the corner. Ladies and gentlemen, there is musical royalty in the house, so please bow and curtsy for the rock star from New Jersey. It's the one and only John Bon Jovi. Bow, wow, wow. 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 Yippee-yay, So, John, uh, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, all the way to Z. So nice to see you again. Great to see you, pal. Good to see you. Tell us about last night. I went to the uh, celebration of Peter Green that Mick Fleetwood hosted, and I got to just be a fan and jump up and and cheer when Pete Townsend came out and uh, David Gilmore and Steven Tyler and Billy Gibbons, and uh, it was an amazing night of the blues. So was it a Q&A? Were they playing? Did no, it a, they a performed bit of everything? at the London Palladium, right? which I had known that venue because we did it a couple of years back. And so I just sat up in the in like the Queen's box and... Uh, <laughs> the Royal Box. <laughs> in the Royal Box and, and waved and, you know, just had a glass of wine and watched it. It was awesome. So when did you arrive? Night before last. Okay, and how come you're here? You're here to talk about the new single, here to, to record the single with uh, in the presence of Prince Harry on Friday. Is that correct? That's correct. I wrote a song for a documentary. Um, it's about veterans with PTSD in America. But on a parallel course, I had sent him a letter back in August with the song and the lyric before it came out in America. And uh, I said it would be a great gift from me to the Invictus Games. And uh, long story short, and who knew what was going to happen with him? He had said yes, and now stuck to it, and so we're doing it. So, so in Rachel's bulletin just before, this is correct, isn't it, Rachel? Uh, one of the headline stories is Prince Harry flies back into Britain yeah. uh, to complete his uh, final uh, few engagements as an official member of the of the royal senior the royal senior royal family. And uh, I think I think your event might be the last thing he's doing. I think it's the first thing he's is doing. Right, thing he's it's doing? tomorrow. Uh, uh, Friday, 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 Friday. Yes, he's got okay, stuff his on last all, thing all month, and that until thirty-first oh, of March is when they end. Okay, well, whatever. All right. Now, will you be inviting him to to BV or to to? Yeah, he's going to. I my hand him a tambourine, see what what he's got going. <laughs> you know, I, I've been asking, what do I do? I, how do I address him? And then I realized I'm going to call him the artist formerly known as Prince. Oh, very good. <laughs> very good. I bet you're pleased with that one, aren't you? Oh, <laughs> uh, you know me. I'm good for one every two decades, Chris. <laughs> well, it's nice that you, you saved it for us this time around. So so you go to Abbey Road. Uh, you, you get in the, 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 the magic in the wars. It's, yeah. it's in there, isn't it? Have you, have you been before? Have yes, you I have. Before? Tell I me about your experiences have. there before. Well, it's it's the holy ground, you know, and, and knowing Sir Paul, uh, you go and you, you talk to him about being there and then going there. Last time we were here to play Wembley over the summer, I dragged my whole family and we had to do the tourist thing and walk across. The of course you did. You know, yeah, after you, all these years. And you have to feel for the motorists, don't you, on, oh. on any given day? Yeah. yeah because yeah. it's just like, shall we go down Abbey Road or not? Oh, shall we risk it? What did we do this for? Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Somebody was telling me recently, I, I think they lived around there. They said, I don't slow down at that turnabout. <laughs> you guys are rotten. He goes, I'm so sick of the tourist canteen. It's so funny. So you're going to be playing again, you, but you've invited a, a choir of Invictus. Yeah, so what it is is the Invictus uh, Games had a choir. Right. And so my idea and letter to him at the time was, I'd like to give you the single. I would love to give something back to the people of the UK who have given me so much in these last yeah. nearly 40 years, but I want them to be the singers. So it's, you know, it's the we are the world of, uh, of for this song. I, I've got 12 veterans. They'll sing the choruses to the existing track. Uh, which, you know, I did, and it'll be on the new record. So, uh, and then we'll release it as a single here in time for their games. 
and hopefully raise them some money. And what's interesting about that, well, many things, but particularly uh, just thinking now, is that you are so up for this, you're so ready for this, uh, which is fantastic. And you, you, you know, you are giving of yourself and of your talent and of your time, uh, but nowhere near as much as they've given of their, of which, you, which you're more than aware of. Right. And you're going there, and you're going to be so proactive and so positive. But I, al- I already know that because you're so excited about it, you'll forget about the fact you're going to get hit in the face. Um, like an ex- like being hit by an express train by these guys' stories because that's gonna yeah. that will get you on Friday. That's what it's all it? about. Yeah, uh, you know. And I had met with several of the vets in in America for the documentary that I'd written the song for, and uh, to see what they went through and the sacrifices they made of their bodies and and their minds and and recovering from PTSD. And you know, it's uh, it's tough because the men and women who are so closely identified with the uniform when they come home and take it off. We don't recognize them. They don't have their superhero uniform on anymore. Yeah, that's you know? true, isn't it? And so they're adjusting to life in the civilian world, and they're still living in those memories. It's uh, not easy. You, uh, talking about um, about about uh, about things that are important, Abbey Road itself very important. You know, there, there was talk about it being turned into apartments and flats a few years ago. Can you imagine? Yeah. And it, it was so close to happening. And all I thought, John, was uh, a why. Right. Full stop. B, if this, if Abbey Road was in America, it'd be gone. It, that it'd be, it'd be over and done and dusted because it doesn't matter anymore, does it? Correct. Unless somebody buys it and ring fences it. And- Correct. You know, some of the great recording studios in New York are now gone. So, uh, you just brought to mind Sony Studios, Hit Factory, Atlantic, all gone. The power station is now owned by a college, and and you got to be a part of the school. Uh, when it reopens yeah. in order to record there. The power station, that's the place where I used to sweep floors. I mean, a world-famous studio. Uh, gone, all gone. Tell us about that. Tell us about you sweeping floors there. Oh, back in 1980. I get a job there as a gopher, uh, and that's my job. Go for lunch, go for you know dry cleaning, clean up after the studio, and, and watch and stare through the windows and, and what i mean what a thing to witness you know you say you said you watched part of it yeah. which, which bit did you see can you I, remember i think they were singing but it was they were doing vocals in new york um did you talk to the them stones no 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 i didn't know you were told not to talk to the artists. really or look at them in the eye right exactly <laughs> no but you know i've got incredible memories in my childhood of, of the stones and Sheik and Cher and Bruce and, um, I mean, you name it. Okay, what's the best uh, bit of memorabilia you have at home? I have an acoustic guitar signed to me from Bob Dylan for my 50th birthday, first thing that comes to mind. As a present from Bob himself? No, from Richie, actually. And he went, he sent it to Bob, and, and Bob liked the guitar so much he kept it and said, go buy another one. So Richie <laughs> bought me another one, and Bob signed that one. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky on Virgin Radio. Dabba Dave, who are we talking to live at the top of the tower next? Our please. next guest is as British as a cup of tea, a cucumber sandwich, or a bobby on the beat. <laughs> He's here to tell us all about Leicester Square's scenes in the square, which celebrates the very best of British cinema. Pinkies at the ready, and please go wild for the incredibly spiffing and really rather jolly good Hugh Bonneville. <laughs> right. Morning, Hugh. <laughs> Morning, how are you? Exactly. All right, geez, what's going on? Get down the frog and toad. Um, right, so um, how, how posh are you? Let's just get... We've never had this conversation, because you're not actually that posh, are you? I'm not. I, I just... Uh, you're just very good I, I at playing do, posh. I just dot my I's and cross my T's. Yeah, no, I was... Uh, I was a South. I was. I was. I was. I, was, I always say I was wasn't born with a silver spoon, but a nice set of crockery. Yeah, that's yeah. all right. It's now yeah. okay. But but you are you are quintessentially British as far as the rest of the world is concerned. So <laughs> so thank you for, on behalf of the rest of us for that 
for, do, for doing that. I'm delighted to be of service. Uh, you are the union flag personified. Um, so what's going on in uh, Scenes in the Square? Sounds, is, sounds fascinating. This is very lovely. This is a lovely thing. Leicester Square is celebrating 350 years of being Leicester Square and, of course, we're celebrating over 100 years of cinema and Leicester Square is where you go for your premieres. Some of my greatest work, my one line in James Bond, was premiered in Leicester Square, uh, Notting Hill uh, and various others. Um, but anyway, tomorrow, from tomorrow, there's this wonderful unveiling is taking place uh, uh, and there will be eight statues of iconic film uh, characters from, from Batman to uh, Gene Kelly from singing in, the, in, in his iconic you know, pose, hanging from a lamppost and uh, singing in the rain. There's going to be Mr Bean sitting on a bench and Bugs Bunny and Mary Poppins and I'm delighted to say... <laughs> Sitting on a bench yes. with a marmalade sandwich yes. will be Paddington. Oh, right. So <laughs> cool, Hugh. And you talk about Leicester Square and, and the, the number of times you've been there. And, you know, you see, it is a, the first time you go, if you're lucky to get to go to a premiere or just be around a premiere or see a premiere, you see the red carpet. Even now, because I, I often sort of traverse there, you know, coming going from here to maybe, I don't know, going to a meeting in town or maybe going for lunch or whatever. And I, I, I go through it on purpose because it still excites me. Do you know what I mean? Mario? I absolutely agree. And I think uh, it's, it's really sort of... Uh, smartened itself up in the last few years and the actual the actual centre of it the actual square bit you know yeah. the gardeny bit is is really a delightful little haven actually and uh, and to have you're going to be looking everywhere it's going to be one of those ones where a bit like when they had the Anthony Gormley all over all over London you're going to look and you think oh my goodness there's another one uh, you're going to look up and see Batman on a roof or, or uh, um, Laurel and Hardy oh I see so they're um, not just going to be on the grass no there's <laughs> some there's going to be uh, Bugs Bunny in the flower beds and uh, you know and uh, Mr Bean on a bench next to you or or, or um, as I say, look up and there's uh, someone surprising on the roof. So and uh, Wonder Woman bursting out of a wall. So it's going to be everywhere <laughs> you look. It's going to add a real new texture to to this wonderful square, this iconic landmark. And it's even more exciting when you, they're either putting the railings out or, or putting the railings away because something has happened or is about to happen. And it's funny because they have different width red carpets. And uh, remember, <laughs> a, a, I think it was a BAFTA a few years ago when it was raining and the, the carpets had just been cleaned, yes. but they hadn't been rinsed. Yeah. So all the Suds started to fro to lather up again, didn't they? Yes, my smart leather shoes. Were never you there? Were they, there that yes, night? they never recovered. Uh, yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, it was quite a while ago now, but it was. It was hilarious. We only the Brits could not, you know, not actually rinse their red carpet. I oh, know uh, they rinse everything else, <laughs> but not the red carpet. Uh, what's the best red carpet you've ever been part of? Oh my goodness! If you, if you can quantify that, uh, I think the most fun was uh, was with Bill Murray because anything that happens with Bill Murray is is, is dangerous <gasps> and um, you know you never know what's going to happen yeah. next. And, well, why were you, why were you uh, with was, him? It was a movie called The Monuments Men, which George Clooney yes. produced and directed, and I had a little part in. And uh, that was a, that was a, a memorable evening. And uh, and Bill just you know is like a sort of bizarre firecracker, and you have to sort of watch him. <laughs> like but, but he often doesn't go off, but he's always primed. Which and therein lies the the intrigue. Exactly, it's the danger. It's the inherent Do you danger. Know him? I met him obviously on the film, and then during the sort of press tour of the uh, of of of, the, of launching the film, and he was hilarious and the film was about uh, reclaiming art uh, from behind the know, lines in the it. second world war i actually really liked it it was it's, a, it's an amazing story and and a, and you know and, and a tribute to these extraordinary people who would call themselves ordinary but they did amazing things to you know reclaim the art of europe uh, from 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 the nazis and anyway so, so there were obviously the generation who really were there were, were very senior now very old and there was a lady in her wheelchair in the red carpet line up and we were in front of the you know the billboards all having photographs and bill went and suddenly sat on her knee. <laughs> 
And he thought, my goodness, you know, that's the, what are you doing? And he said, well, you know, most people see a lady in a wheelchair. I, I think potty girl. And of course, she absolutely <laughs> loved it. <laughs> so he's full of surprises. It and could that have gone either way, yeah. of course. Uh, is, <laughs> exactly. I mean, he is he's probably is the, the greatest enigma in, in modern day show business, isn't he? He remains that. Is it true that, he, yeah. that, that if you want him to be in a film, unless you re- know him personally, you have to call a P.O. box in a newspaper? Absol- no, well, you know, you, you, he has a he has a answer phone. He right. doesn't. He doesn't have a manager or an agent. You just ring this particular number and you leave the terms of the deal. And if he wants the deal, he'll say yes. And that's that's pretty much it. You've got to love that, haven't you? <laughs> Is there anybody Style. that comes close to that? Um, anybody else? You no, know? I've tried it, but the phone never rings. <laughs> <laughs> I bet it does. I bet it never stops ringing. And is there anything else pending that you can talk about? Uh, oh, I've just finished a film. Keely Hawes and I have just made a, 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 a really, I think, delightful little film about Roald Dahl and his wife, Patricia Neal, uh, in the, and, and a period of their life in the 1960s. And um, so that's in the in the cutting room at the moment. And um, uh, I think we'll, you know, we'll, we'll be, a, a, surprise people to learn a little bit more about the, the hinterland of, of Roald Dahl and where some of the, 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 the magic came from. Um, and also, also the drive as well. Yeah, absolutely. They, he was an extraordinary man and, and, and their marriage uh, was, uh, went through a lot of uh, problems. Uh, they, they lost a, a daughter to measles and, uh, uh, and, and so it, it looks at a period of, the t- of, of time where they were going through an awful lot of stuff but at the same time being incredibly creative. And he's, he is extraordinarily resilient as a human being or was, wasn't he? Because he's a fighter pilot, shot down many times. That's right. He, yeah, well, he, yes, he crashed in, in, in Africa and, and suffered a lot. He was in hospital for months and, uh, uh, and used a lot of that pain and reflection in, in his writing and of course you know captivated generations and continues to do so uh, with his imagination I, in fact funnily enough he came up when we were doing Paddington one and there's a scene in which I, I'm dressed as a cleaner and uh, and the security guard is sort of you know quizzing me and he ends up sticking pins in my arm to check you know wh- wh- whether my arm is real or not um, and of course it's you know it's my own arm but I say it's a fake arm and so he sticks pins in it to prove it <laughs> and we were rehearsing this and I so said funny. and I, I remember saying to Paul King the director I said you can't do that you know there are going to be kids watching this and he, and he said Think of Roald Dahl. He said, "Kids will love, love it." it. Of course they <laughs> do. You, do you play Dahl? Uh, I play. I play Roald Dahl. Yes. Wow, yes. Was, was that, yes. I mean, that's a feather in your cap. Isn't it, it? It, it was interesting. It was uh, two hours in makeup every morning, um, and uh, and Keeley uh, plays um, uh, plays Patricia Neal, who was his American film star wife. Oh, right, Hugh, <laughs> it's great to have you here. Thank you so much for oh, having me. Always good. Always welcome. I, every t- every time they say Hugh's coming on the show, I'm going. Oh, he must still like us. <laughs> that's that's why it's all. Always- <laughs> do the, the best it ever is is relief in this game sometimes <laughs> all right thank you Hugh the best of the Chris Evans breakfast show with Sky on Virgin Radio there's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plush care plush care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe FDA approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. 
We've heard from three guests already, but there's loads more still to come. Dr. Rungan Chatterjee, author of Feel Better in Five, chats his training, or lack thereof, for the London Marathon. Daniel Levitin discusses his new book, The Changing Mind, A Neuroscientist Guide to Aging Well. Eddie Zard talks to us before running his 27th marathon in 27 days for his Make Humanity Great Again campaign. Major General Paul Nansen gives us life lessons from his new book, Stand Up Straight. And Tom Chapman tells us the story of his fantastic mental health charity the lions barber collective all that and more but first dapper dave who's next he's on a mission to make humanity great again and he's doing it one step at a time yesterday he was in amsterdam running his 26 marathon in 26 days and today in dublin he's doing it all again please welcome a man whose daily step count is through the roof it's the running wonder that is the brilliant eddie Izzard. good morning eddie good morning good morning how are you doing <laughs> i'm very well i'm sorry about this but we don't have much time because you've got a whole show to do um but we do have time Absolutely. eddie tell us what we need to know what you'd like to tell us please enlighten us do this is um, basically there's been a lot of separation in our country in the world division i thought let's do unity let's let's flip that round and so make humanity great again a slogan that is reminiscent of another slogan you might have heard of. but i'm i'm running 28 marathons 28 days i've done 26 we're going to try and get a raise 100 grand we're on about 82 grand now so if they go to eddieazard.com um, and if they can, if people can donate and follow and, and uh, do for the, the crowd kind of thing we could reach this total and there's only two days ago there's a marathon here in Dublin today, just arrived, and then Martin in Paris tomorrow. So it's all going. I'm sending out tweets all the time, and that's what it's all about. Eddieazard.com is the easiest place to go and find details. All right, or crowdfunded.co.uk slash make humanity great again. Of course, you've done similar before. Um, uh, 47 marathons last time, 48 marathons. I can't remember, to be honest. Well, it was 43 in the UK, but I took a day off a week. But this is the longest I've run continuously. Even in South Africa, when I did 27, I I only did 21 in a row because I was in hospital. But this is now 26, 27th without a day off, which is kind of knackering. <laughs> you just have to keep going and eat food and sleep and get up. We got up about, I know, three this morning and we're arriving and, um, and I run and then I have to go off again. So it's, uh, it, it is exhausting and it does work. And I'm not a brilliant runner either. If you ever see me run, I'm just some sort of bag of potatoes. Okay. Uh, with a mission. Well, you, you say it's hard work, but listen to this. So, uh, day three, Madrid and Spain, your PB so far, six hours 13. But you, you were pretty close to it a couple of days ago, uh, back at 6.26 in Berlin in Germany. So, so Eddie, you're, you're getting back to your peak performance. Well, sort of getting back to the peak. But, you know, with me, it's just get it done at whatever time. And also you have to stop sometimes. Sometimes you stop and have a chat with people, which is great. But... Uh, it's, uh, yeah, the times don't really matter. As long as you can get it done within a specific time, then that's okay. Because if, uh, you know, the, what's the world record? Two hours, and they, they just romp it. I'm, I'm just <laughs> the slowest person in the world compared to them. Well, listen, um, we get lots of texts from people who are gearing up for this half marathon, that this 5K, that 5K. How am I going to do it? How am I going to manage it? Come on, 28, 28 marathons in 28 days. Give us some um, take-home, take-away running hacks. Well, the thing I say is just listen to your body. If your body starts going weird, then you can work on it. If they're the really fast people, they should talk to someone else and they're trying to do personal best. But if you're someone who's getting out there and doing that and raising money for charity then don't put, when things are sort of hurting, then stop, slow down, work on it. You can walk out through problems. You can get a problem in your body and you can walk it through and it will go away again. And uh, it's just believing it. If, if you think in your brain, if you know in your brain you're going to or think or believe strongly in your brain that you'll get it done, you will get it done. 
It's up to you. It's a mind thing. It's not a body thing. It's a mind thing. That's oh. the weird thing. All right. So day 27, Dublin today, back to Paris uh, in France tomorrow for the 28th of 28. And um, once again, give us that website address, please, Eddie. Um, Eddieisard.com is the easiest place to go to. Um, crowdfunder.co.uk will also have it up there. But Eddieisard.com, yes, you, can, you can see all the details. You can hit the donate button. And, uh, yeah, follow me on Twitter and it's all happening there. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky on Virgin Radio. Our next guests make a rule of only working with the finest actors on earth. People like Tom Holland, Billy Crystal, Helen Mirren, Chris Pratt and Rachel Horn. Yeah. The new Disney Pixar animation Onward is out next Friday and here to tell us all about it are the two people that bring that magic to life. It's director Dan Scanlon and producer Corey Ray. Good morning, guys. <laughs> good morning. Welcome, good morning. welcome. How are you? Very good. Great. What do you think about Californian weather? It's uh, oh, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. Not dissimilar to the Bay Area, but yeah. Could you animate our sky, please? <laughs> that would be nice. Right. So, you two dudes. Uh, first of all, tell us, tell us uh, how you got into the world you you currently inhabit and our geniuses within. First of all, Dan. Uh, I'm very lucky to move to uh, from San Francisco to uh, the Bay Area to work at Pixar 18 years ago. I worked on movies like Cars and Toy Story 3, not directing them. Uh, and then Corey and I directed Monsters University or made Monsters University together and, and now onward. Yeah. And Corey, what, as, as a little girl, what did you like to do? What, what kind of things <laughs> were, you, were you into? I was kind of more of a jock and doing, uh, I was I was an athlete. And then uh, so ended up at Pixar kind of on a, uh, on a fluke about 27 years ago. How did you get under the barrier then? <laughs> <laughs> or over the barrier? I, exactly. Peter. Yeah. It snuck in somehow. I don't know. They didn't, they didn't catch on for what a while. What was your first job? Job but, there. Uh, my first job was assistant uh, to the producer when we were making commercials. Right. Way long ago. Uh, um, how, how before come, Toy Story. What floated your boat about that world and what floated their boat about you? <laughs> I think what I loved was the combination of technology and art. And I just loved being in the middle of it and figuring out problem solving. Uh, a lot of the early days of, of com- computer animation was problem solving, figuring out how to do it. Because yeah. we had no idea. And when we made Toy Story, we you know did it with duct tape and, and glue. We had no idea what Got we were doing. Got any glue? Yeah. And, and so, and so you know, it was, it's one of those industries, isn't it, where you had to invent the technology to make the next film that, that, that was within your dreams. That's right. Exactly. And then, therefore, you own the technology. Therefore, you, you rule the roost, I suppose. But is it is it literally the, is it still is it still that kind of pace, um, Dan? Is it with every new film? Is, is do you, are you inventing new ways of animating? Uh, no, we can do everything now. Really? <laughs> well, I mean, <laughs> I mean, I'm only partially joking. There's always stuff we have to learn and things we have to do to make the films better. But it is amazing uh, uh, what the team can do now. I mean, if kind of anything you can think of, it seems like. Yeah. Right. Now, so, so how, how much have you hung out with Rachel in Hollywood cafes, restaurants, bars? With, for, for her, she and her twelve words, is it? Nineteen words. Nineteen, 19 words. words. For, three me. lines. We yes. had lots and lots of meetings about oh, the yeah. characters' backstory. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. yeah. We just, you know, thrashed some ideas out. That's you right. know how it goes. Okay. Before we find out how Rachel fits into this jigsaw, uh, tell us about the film. Well, it's a personal project for you, then. Isn't it's it? a really personal project. It's loosely based on my own experience losing my father when I was a year old. My brother was three at the time. As you can imagine we don't remember him we always wondered who he was and that question became the question of onward what if you could spend a day with someone you'd lost and that really is what these two brothers (laughs) ian and barley uh get to do in this modern fantasy world they get to bring their dad back for a day 
Oh, yeah. And it's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> so when did the elves come on board? <laughs> well, we needed a way to bring a person back to life for a day in a place where that would be possible, and that's a world of magic. And so that got us thinking, what, what if this was a fantasy world, like your classic fantasy world, only it took place in our time? so that we could tell this personal story, which led to just ridiculous <laughs> ideas, like unicorns that were once rare are now everywhere taken for granted. They're eating out of your garbage cans. They're basically the, the raccoons of, of this world. Uh, and that's really kind of how it all started. Yeah. So, so but the, the process, I mean, that's, that's, that has to be fun and is fun when you start talking about it like that. But then the process is very binary. So, so you, you, come out, you come across a challenge in the story, which is creative and fun, and play is very important. Of course, it is in life in general. And then you come across a binary issue, which could take weeks, months, I would imagine. Then you have to remind yourself to get back to the funny. <laughs> Sometimes. Sometimes we do, yeah. And especially when we're... Because um, the... the basic of storytelling is just really trying to solve those problems of the character arcs and of the world and how the characters fit in that world and and getting to the story that you're trying to tell getting kind of to that ending and um so it is we it's so funny that we're sitting around seriously talking about elves and centaurs and satyrs um without cracking a smile i love it so much <laughs> so how on earth did you get this super infinite well of ta gold uh, to to make your film with you rachel horn is who we're talking about by the yeah. way yeah Yes, Rachel has a very pivotal role in the film. Uh, there's a moment where the... Does she die? <laughs> well, just in the fan fiction I've written, years and years later. Um, the, the, the two brothers go on this adventure to try to uh, meet their dad again, and they need special magical things to do that. And of course, like every good quest, you have to go to a tavern, a scary old tavern, to uh, get whatever information you need. Uh, but this being a very modern world, that ta tavern has changed a lot over the years, and it's a very friendly, kind of family-friendly place now. And uh, they're greeted by a very uh, uh, over-the-top... Uh, so it's more Babagum than Hooters. Right, yeah. right. <clears throat> and uh, they're uh, greeted by uh, Rachel Nolan, who's playing a very... Um, over the top, kind of friendly, that no, family friendly really? person. That's not like you. Suited <laughs> cool. me right down to the yeah, tea. Very good yeah. acting, no? Oh, yeah. That's yeah. So far away Method. From you had to put on your best sort of Ren Fair voice and a uh, big, huge smile and way over the top greeting and welcoming them to the restaurant. <laughs> well, that's exactly what they said when I was doing the voiceovers. It was, yeah, you know, you've got to imagine that you're a children's entertainer and do it with a smile and do it again and be more enthusiastic. It was pretty funny. Well, they told you to be more enthusiastic. Enthusiastic. Yeah, more enthusiastic. How was and that? And it was so interesting because I thought I was being really enthusiastic and then they'd play it back because the scene's already animated. So in the record studio, it was it was about three times the size of this room and there was a huge, huge cinema screen at one end and they played out the animation and um, and I had a proper like mic with like a popping thing in front of it and I had to do it. I stood up and I thought I gave it 150%. And then this guy, um, Ben, Ben Hope, one of the, um, the director of Disney character voices, he was on Skype and he was going, yeah, Rachel, that's brilliant. That's great. That's great. Um, but just, you know, imagine you just lift it up a bit, a bit more movement as you do it. And you do it again and you can really hear the difference. And the first one they play back, I was like, oh, it's actually quite flat. That's you give 150%, but in animation, you have to get 200% and there has to be blood on the script and tears <laughs> and sweat. Otherwise, All it doesn't of that register. Happens. That was great amazing. to meet you two. Great to meet well you. Well done. And thanks for giving Rachel some extra work. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. The best of the Chris Evans break. 
Breakfast Show with Sky on Virgin Radio. Dapper Dave, who are we being joined by next? What a big brain this chap has. He's a best-selling author, a hit podcaster, and will soon be part of the Magnificent Seven. Yes, like most people that spend any time in or around this show, he's been roped into running a marathon too. <laughs> Please welcome a man that will soon be full to the brim with lactic acid. It's Dr. Rongan oh, Chatterjee. Yum, 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 lactic acid. Don't we love to lap that up? How are you, Rongan? I'm not bad, Chris, at all. Good to be back. Good to see you all again. How's it going? If you're talking about the marathon, yes. um, <laughs> that's that's a long story. How long have we got? Okay, so, yeah, for people who heard last time I was on, which is, what, six, seven weeks yep. ago, something like that, uh, you very kindly challenged me to do the London <laughs> Marathon on air, which I accepted. Um but things have not gone to plan. Okay. That's the truth. Why? Um, you, you, but you were the master of organising your time. I am. And so I'll tell you about it. I am. What's happening is that I've picked up an injury. All right. So uh, I can't really run. Well, until a week ago, I couldn't really run more than one or two K without my right hamstring really starting to play up. I can sort that out for you. Oh, brilliant. Got my elbow in there. Fantastic. Should put, should put a long record on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, let's do it. But, <laughs> yes. um, and, you know, if, if you look at, if I was to look at my life and go, which is the busiest time of the year? Yeah. It's January and February, yeah. where I'm on the road, my books come out there, and I'm promoting, I'm talking, I'm going to schools to talk about well-being. And if you were going to plan a time of the year for me to do something like a marathon, now wouldn't be it. Having said that, I did accept the challenge. Yep. I'm doing little things like five minutes of nasal breathing each day to work on the efficiency with which my body utilizes oxygen. Yeah. I'm doing five to 10 minutes, probably a bit more actually, off a lot of these kind of three-dimensional movements are going to help my body start to work a bit better. Yeah. Um, you know, again, I'm doing these things because yes, it's not the conventional training of running, you know, 10, 20K or whatever I should be doing at this point. But I know I'm doing something every day yeah. that is going to help me no matter how small. And I'm hoping in the next few weeks, things open up a lot. And, and I plan to do a lot of training in the next two, three, four weeks you know, right hamstring dependent, but I'm I'm very lucky. I saw your hamstring. Yeah. Um, what can we do over the dinner table this evening? Look, there's loads of things we can do. Uh, as you know, Chris, I'm a fan of stuff that is super practical, right? That that we that doesn't take long. Things that we can all do in our everyday life that don't cost money, that don't take much time. So I was chatting to Vassos just beforehand before we came on about. Um, a game that I play with my family every night at the dinner table. So it's a gratitude game, and we all go around the table, and we have to answer three questions. What have I done today to make somebody else happy? What has somebody else done today to make me happy? And what have I learned today? And I've got to say, Chris, it's probably one of the most powerful things we do as a family, uh, because we're living in times where, you know, things are quite divided, um, there's a lot of negativity on the news, wherever you walk, you know, on, on social media. And people have got to remember that we're hardwired um, to look at the negative. We have this negativity bias. That's what's kept us alive for, you know, hundreds of thousands of years. But in this sort of environment now, when most of us are relatively safe, that negativity bias is working against us. And we start to stress out and get anxious about things. So this is a very simple game that really helps reframe the day, shift the attention from the negative to the positive. And if I'm honest, Chris, like my kids are nine and seven. I thought a few years ago when I introduced it, I thought this can be really, really good for my kids. You know, I'm going to help them uh, reflect on the positive each day. And it is. But I've got to say it's pretty damn good for me and my wife as well. Because A, you really, and as I said right at the start of this little piece with you today, um, you know, life's been pretty stressful recently there's been a lot of personal stuff going on and just by playing that game it re I, i'm able to reflect each day 
that there's a lot of good in life as well. You could, like my kids have added two of their own in, but you know, the other two questions, they're all there in Feel Better and Fine. They're all there, right? But that's a simple take home for people. Quickly, this one, it's really important. Andrea, what does Rangan recommend uh, for people who live on their own in a minute, if you can, Rangan? Um, I would say, look, if you live by yourself, um, do something where you can engage in a community. So Parkrun's brilliant for this, right? So, um, if you live by yourself and you want to engage people, go to Parkrun. If you don't like running, go and volunteer. Volunteer. You, I've got so many patients who have got issues with mood and they live by themselves so they don't have friends. Volunteering at Parkrun has changed their life. Have you got a hobby? If you've got a hobby, let's say you like yoga. A lot of us now are learning yoga from YouTube. Nothing wrong with that. But maybe once a week, go to a class where you can uh, meet up with like-minded individuals who share similar passions to you. Human connection is vital for our health. So you've got to get out there. What about this from Amanda in Manchester just now, uh, almost in the same sort of text cluster. Um, she says, last week I set up a kind, happy hub and 85 people have already joined. So you could send it, set up your own hub. Set up your own hub. Uh, and the thing about kindness, actually, is that it's contagious, right? So if you're <laughs> kind to someone else, I think, I can't remember the exact stat, I think you're between 30 and, that that person is 30 to 40% more likely to be kind to somebody else there with. And it's a ripple effect. Pay it forward, it's pay it forward. Pay it forward. So look, yeah. you want to change the world, you don't like the way, the divided nature of the world, you know, it's a cliche, but be the change you want to see. If you're kind to other people, they're more likely to be kind to other people. Right, have you had, have you had enough sleep recently? No. Right, we need to get you some sleep. We need to get you back on the road. What were you just doing with them on the floor? Some the, hamstring Was it legal? Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> Did it help? It, it has helped, so I'm going to try and put it into place. Um, can I just say, you know, you mentioned Rich, yeah. who, who is a good mate of mine, and I'm delighted you're meeting up with him. Rich, he just released his 500th episode. I cannot believe the level of consistency that is required because next week's my 100th episode I recorded it last night in London where I got interviewed um, on, on my reflections on it and I think wow 500 even 100 has literally taken it out of me um, in a good way not complaining um, but it is uh, it really is incredible to see people like Rich who are doing such great work yeah, and well, consistently helping many people disciples, many disciples 100%. good to be part of the disciple gang yeah for sure okay brilliant great to have you here thanks so much Chris the best of the Chris Evans breakfast show with sky on virgin radio our next guest really has got the best out of his brain it's allowed him to work as a musician a neuroscientist a best-selling author record label executive and much more his new book the changing mind a neuroscientist's guide to aging is out on thursday so please welcome a man that's got the lot on what's going on up top it's daniel levitin good morning daniel welcome welcome good morning chris how are you today all the better for seeing you oh well you say all the right things in all the right places uh, so he has to talk Talking to this chap, uh, and it's already almost sold out. You've just added one more day. That's why it's not. Otherwise, it would be. Um, and you have your TED talk, and that's been w- watched 16 million times. Uh, before we talk about the book, uh, your TED talk, "How to Stay Calm When You Know You'll Be Stressed." Uh, who doesn't want to re- listen to that for 20 minutes? What is the <laughs> What is the headline take home from that? Plan ahead. Think ahead to what could go wrong, and put some systems in place to minimize the damage. Because inevitably, yeah something's going to go wrong. So fail to plan, plan to fail. Exactly. Or as simple as that. And also, you know, if, yeah. you, ha- if you have a path to wander from, uh, spontaneity only works if there's a, founda- a solid foundation at the centre of it. Is that correct? Yeah. I mean, if you're, if you're trying to be spontaneous in music, you need to know your scales. You need yeah. to know the tune. If you're trying to be spontaneous as a radio host, you yeah. need to have a vast knowledge and big vocabulary, and it has to all be at the ready, right? Yeah, and also you have to have a context for spontaneousness to exist or spontaneity to exist. Therefore, that must be order. Because if you don't, that's chaos. It's neither. 
Well, it's interesting because the two musical artists uh, that we think of as, as among the most creative, Mozart yeah. and, and the Beatles, yeah. worked within very tight constraints. They did. Mozart didn't invent the symphony. He just expanded it. Beatles didn't invent rock and roll. They just expanded within it. And this book is just fantastic. It's a goldmine. It's a goldmine of great things. Uh, tell us, first of all, about the nonagenarians who were interviewed and asked at which age during their whole life, and they, they were still alive, obviously, that's why they're being interviewed, uh, they were at the happiest... And they, they said 82. We tried interviewing the dead people. It didn't go yeah, well. It didn't go yeah. well. <laughs> yeah, 82 is the happiest time in life. Across 72 countries, Chris. Well, come on, tell us tell us why. What are the Because there, there's the facts, then you get into the analysis of the facts, don't you? Right. Well, so, I mean, obviously there are some older adults who are miserable. Uh, I mean, we're talking about averages here. But there are a number of changes that happen to the brain as we get older that bring about that happiness. One is we become just more grateful. Right. We look at the world around us and we think it's wonderful. I'm happy to be here. As George Burns said when he was 100 and took the stage, I'm happy to be here, but of course, at my age, I'm happy to be anywhere. anywhere. <laughs> yeah. It's true, isn't it? And you stop worrying about things, you stop becoming less gloomy. Again, it's not, it's not for everybody, but for a lot of people. Well, there's this well-known, what we call positivity bias. Older adults are more oriented towards the positive. They tend to bring up more positive memories, not negative ones. They see the positive qualities in people around them, not the negative. And so you're talking about prepping before via your TED Talk. Can we, you know, I'm 53, Vassas is in his 40s, Rachel's just turned 40, you're 62, 63-ish, aren't you, something like that. Um, can, can we start sowing some useful seeds now for the future? Well, we can. Uh, that's the, the, the lesson, I think, of neuroscience is that it's, it's never too late to change and you, it's never too early to change. We start aging the day we're born. And so uh, even in our 20s and 30s, we can be thinking ahead, what do I want the rest of my life to look like? And it basically comes down to mindset. There's a whole lot of life that's, under, that's not under your control, and, but there's a whole lot more that is. So, so what kind of things, I know it's in the book, um, but what kind of things could, could you tell us now, perhaps? Well, resilience. Uh, if, if you're resilient, you, uh, you know, when you can't control what the universe throws at you, yeah, but yeah. you can control how you respond. Yeah. And if you're resilient, you get up and you try again, you don't wallow too much. Yeah. That's a personality trait. Some of us have it, some of us don't, uh -huh. some of us have more than others. You can definitely develop that though, can't you? Absolutely. Through a variety of different means, psychotherapy, meditation, yeah. medication, uh, or uh, yoga. You know. Or again, organization, like you say, you know, I, over the last year, I've just started to become more organized. And, you know, I was... I just was, now, just in the last year. Yeah. And I was really anti... Because it was, it, without going on about running again, which we always end up doing, we start, you know, I started running things that I had to prepare for, and that just filtered into my life. And I thought, well, if I can do that, and it's, it makes things so much easier, why wouldn't you do it? You breathe lighter, you're less anxious about things. You know, you, you expend less energy on the peripheral nonsense of the turbulence that you don't need. Well, this is a nice link to what you said earlier about uh, spontaneity within constraints. When you organize your yeah. life and your thoughts yeah. and your goals, then you can do anything. To remain engaged in life. I mean, people that listen to the show do anyway. You can, I hope you can sort of tell that. Well, I think the secret to living well at any age is to stay engaged with the world and with the people around you, especially new people. Right. Meet new people, talk to somebody on the tube, talk to somebody at the checkout stand that you don't know. And really the secret to keeping that level of engagement throughout the life is to develop curiosity. Curiosity. Nurture curiosity. Right. Be curious about the world. Be curious about other people. 
be try to be interested rather than interesting. Can you be both? Is that okay or not? Sure, but um, you know, if you're really interested in another person, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's going to engage them more than if you try to be interesting. Yeah, I, I get that completely. All right, so so be interested in almost everything. And also, when you're on your own, be interested in yourself. Care for yourself. Absolutely. That's really Self important. Self-knowledge is important. Okay. Self-care. All right, well, listen, thanks so much for, for coming in today. Um, and and uh, thanks for all your input and thanks for your book. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky on Virgin Radio. Our next guest can condition your hair and, more importantly, help condition your mind. The Lions Barber Collective are doing incredible incredible work for male mental health across the world and here to tell us all about it is a man that gives a short back and sides with added smiles it's founder and the quite brilliant tom chapman morning tom <laughs> morning that was well, fantastic wasn't it yeah great welcome <laughs> well, well you'd more than deserve it and well done at life lessons the other week you're supposed to make, give one talk you ended up giving two didn't you yeah we did yeah we ended up with two i started off with uh, sarah and helen of squiggly careers and then uh, i was asked to be on uh, again on in the theater with uh, ramesh and josh naren to sort of, of a it was kind of like loose men just a panel just discussing <laughs> men's mental health it was fantastic actually right. really good let's get into your story so how come you um received you're cutting hair one day and there's call for you not now not now i'm busy 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 cutting hair they said it's number 10 downing street but tell us about that moment <laughs> so yeah i was cutting hair and uh this phone call come through number 10 down the street you don't get that every every day and uh they wanted to uh, give me a, a points of light award for um for my um, outstanding volunteer work we, we did with the lions barber collective and uh, I was actually invited to go up to number 10 down the street, but I was uh, actually away cutting hair on stage somewhere else in a different country, so I couldn't. I had to turn down the Prime Minister. Tell us about your experience listening to people in the barber's chair and then how the journey from there to, to where we are now. When I first started out, uh, when I was 18, my manager said to me, he goes, be prepared to be a therapist and a counsellor. Um, you're a poor man psychiatrist. And I was like, oh, what are you talking about? I've come to cut hair and make people look good. And I didn't realise it actually make people feel good. And it's been a bit of a joke in the hair industry forever that we're you know, a poor man's therapist. And uh, yeah, hairdressers and barbers listen on average about 2,000 hours a year. Um, and it got to a point where um, I lost a friend to suicide. Right. I, I, was, uh, I was cutting hair one day, come home after work. And uh, found on Facebook that I'd lost a friend to suicide, a friend called Alex. And I was completely unaware that he was suffering. I'd seen him days before. I'd never recognised any signs in him. Um, and I thought, well, what if I did recognise? What would I have done anyway? What would I, I didn't know what to do or what to say or how I could even help him. Um, so it was, it, it was really difficult. Um, and that's, you know, I, I knew we needed to do something because he was, he was only young. He was in his 20s. It, he was was it was the first person that was taken from me. I'd lost people, you know, grandparents, but he was the first person that was taken from me because I feel that he was he was too young to go. Yeah. He had so much to give, and um, I, I I said at the wake that we need to do something about that. We need to do something about that. And and you know life gets in the way, and we went on for another year before I uh, before I started the Lions Barber Collective, and that kind of happened as a bit of a it was a, as a one off comment on a on a barbering Facebook group. You know, these little barbers, these little, our own little subculture going on with our own little Facebook groups. And I said, let's do something for charity. And we decided to collect, uh, get 30 barbers together. Everybody do a, uh, a photo shoot. And then we've going to put all those photo shoot images together in a book and, and raise money for, for charity. And one of the guys suggested suicide prevention. I thought, how did I not think of that? Yeah. I'd lost French suicide and I wasn't even aware of it. So if I've lost someone, I've been affected. How many people out there are suffering alone? have been affected, have lost people and don't know where to turn. Mm. So that's how it started, the Lions Barber Collective. And then as it went on, we realised that 
you know, like I said, we, we're listening anyway. Barbers are listening, hairdressers are listening. Um, if we could develop some sort of training, so that's why we come up with Barber Talk, so we could actually train the barbers and hairdressers to recognize the signs, ask the right questions, the direct questions that we often avoid, um, listen with empathy and without judgment, and then finally um, arm the barbers and hairdressers with the knowledge of what help is out there so we can help those people find the help they need. You know, we're not trying to make barbers into counsellors or therapists. It's just preventing you from having to be there in a moment of crisis and hold the ball and not know what to do with that and pass that on to the next next person so that person finds the help they need. So but you, you, it's, a, it's a very sort of sensitive situation. Of course it is. And you don't want to go fishing, but you want to be able to notice. That's the yeah. difference, isn't yeah. it? So, so how does that training work? It's about five, four or five hours. We do uh, the, the four pillars, which is recognise. So we teach the, the people to recognise, essentially, if there's any change in your client. We're, we, know, we build up a relationship with our clients. We've known them, I've known people for 20 years. I've been cutting their hair, but I've never seen them outside of the situation of cutting their hair. So there's like that little bit of distance there, but it's enough to be able to see any real change in that client. If I see them every three, four weeks, I'll notice if they are... Uh, more erratic or less erratic or they've gained a lot of weight or lost a lot of weight or they're sleeping too much or not enough and that that might be a sign that you can then ask them another question like i uh, you know moving on to the ask how are you feeling today chris yeah. you know and asking that serious question because we always say you all right mate yeah yeah you yeah you yeah, yeah you and we go back and forth for about five minutes before we even get on so it's just a hello isn't it it's not it's not an actual question we're not actually asking them so, so, if you, so if you say something like for example uh you're right at the moment you know you put a bit of inflation there everything yeah. right you know yeah. Yeah. as opposed to you just turn it a little bit more yeah uh, just that little bit more i mean the, you know, uh, how are you feeling today yeah. chris you know it's actually making it about today and you yeah, yeah. and right now making it personal um and uh, make it seem like you actually care about them uh, and giving them that green light to be able to talk if they do. Um, and then once they do talk, one of the most things is listening and li listening with empathy and without judgment and not trying to solve their problem yeah. and not jumping in and not trying to... Just keep listening. Yeah, just keep listening and not be scared of silences. You know, sometimes if somebody's had a, you know, they're, they're struggling, it's all stuck up in their head and they're mm -hmm. trying to work out how to verbalise it, how to get it out, that silence might just be them thinking oh my god how am i gonna how am i gonna say this mm. but we might jump in with a solution because we like to fix things don't we? we like to try and make people better we actually a lot of the time people solve their own problems when they're given that platform to to get it out there you're awesome mate <laughs> thanks great Chris. to meet you I never thought i'd hear you say that <laughs> watching you with on big breakfast with zig and zag as a boy <laughs> oh what a great guy the best of the chris evans breakfast show with sky on virgin radio from making your bed and shining your shoes to being a true leader of men, the army gets you into the best habits. His brilliant book, Stand Up Straight, 10 Life Lessons from the Royal Military Academy Sandhurst is out now. So everyone, please stand to attention because it's time for Major General Paul Nansen. Good morning, Paul. Good morning, Chris. Welcome, welcome. How are you doing? Thank you very, I am very well. Thank you very much. All right, let's qualify you first of all. Um, your book opens up a few pages about yourself, um, which means, you know, it explains to the reader that you are the real deal. Back in 1991, we were both 25, living different, uh, very different lives, and you were about to lead men into combat for the first time in Desert Storm at the age of 25. That's right, yeah. Tell, tell us about that. Uh, yeah, 25. So uh, I was a platoon commander, commanded a reconnaissance platoon in the uh, 3rd Fusiliers. Uh, 29 years ago, actually, almost to the day, I think we uh, launched combat operations in as part of Desert Storm. Um, so, yeah, it's a huge experience for me. And, and really, you know, even though I'd come out of Santa sort of four years earlier, it was my first real, you know, leadership challenge significant leadership challenge where it suddenly dawned on me the enormity of the task ahead and how important it was that i led my men 
as well as I possibly could. Literally led your men into battle yep. for real. Yeah. Okay, at the age of 25. Now, when you're 14 and 15, 25 sounds quite old, but when you're 53, like we are now, sounds quite young. How was it? Um, well, I'm still here, so um, it, uh, it it worked okay. I think I think the the big thing I talk about, and I talk about it in the book, was you know when you're sitting there ready to go, and you're you're thinking through the enormity of the task ahead. There were three things that sort of that, that motivated us to do what we did, and and the first thing was well, the whole thing was about belief. Firstly, belief in yourself that you're good enough, that you've been trained well, and you're ready to go, and you've got the confidence to go and do what you've got to do. The second thing is belief in in the team around you, the the men either side of you who are you know you, you're putting all that trust in them and they're putting their trust in you that they're going, you're going to look after them. And then thirdly, belief in in the in the task ahead, you know what you've got to go and do and the people who are leading you. Um, and and I felt you know as I say in the book, you know nervous, frightened, uh, but once it started, you know all that melts away because you have this amazing confidence that you're going to be okay and you're well, going to do and something. you had this hard hard drive of training don't you and so yeah. that takes over in a way and i suppose that the message from the book from from an ex- extreme circumstance extreme training you know beyond anything most of us can imagine uh, let alone experience is you take that and the arc then you drop you parachute those um values uh, and those rituals and, and that training and those those very helpful positive constructive habits into real life and it's so useful yeah. and that's what that's that's the point isn't it yeah. um and what they're designed to do with the army from what and i've read your book and i loved your book um is it they're designed to free the service personnel up to have extra capacity to make decisions in a pressurised situation because all the other stuff will be within them already. It's yeah. hardwired into them. Yeah. And that's what we need in life because life, when life is confusing and it's turbulent, it's exhausting. Mm. And we can miss out on the gold in many ways, can't mm. we? You yeah, know? absolutely. Uh, Victory of another kind. Yeah, and I think, I think you're absolutely right. I think it's about getting the small things right, forming habits, yeah. habit forming, which is you know skills and drills, that just becomes second nature. So when you are under pressure, you haven't got to think about doing doing the doing the, the, the mundane stuff that's going to keep you alive from operating your weapon system, or whatever it may be, because you've got to think about other things. Yeah. The things you haven't prepared for that will come at you from left to and right. And you have the space, mental capacity yeah. to think about those yeah. things. And you may never have to think about anything, but the, the lifeboat is there, the mental lifeboat is there should you need it. Absolutely. Right, let's just go through through the uh, titles of the chapters in the book, because that's the best way to sort of hit this in the kind of interview form that we have available to ourselves today. Um, chapter one, The Sandhurst Way, the life-saving magic of tidying up. Now, this is so simple. Right, but it puts you it puts you in such such a, such a helpful frame of mind for the rest of the day. Yeah. Explain the philosophy behind this, and this is a two hundred year old philosophy. Isn't yeah, it? I mean, you know, it's about getting the small stuff right. So it's about taking care of your equipment, taking care of your kit, making sure your rooms in a good place. You know, making sure you are ready to go. And we get inspected first thing in the morning, and you know, if it's not right, you have to you have to show again. But it's. It's not, you know, it's about it's about having discipline. It's about having standards. It's about having a sense of pride in yourself. And if you get the first bit right, the first bit of the day, correct. And this is this is early before you do anything else. If you get that bit right, then you have a sense of achievement. You have a sense of pride in yourself, and hopefully, it sets you up. How can shining your shoes save your life? Well, again, shining your shoes is about having pride in yourself and, and, and looking good. But also, there's a practical purpose. And we try and say in the book, it's not, a, not necessarily all about 
having a spotless shine. It's about taking care of your footwear. And you know, if you look after your footwear, then you look after your feet. If you look after your feet, then you you're still combat effective. If you if you have poor feet, if your feet go wrong, you're no use to anyone. Yeah, if you if you don't look after your feet, you could lose literally lose the war because it's not just you that you debilitate. But then if you're out in the field, uh, then you, your mates are going to have to look after you. Yeah. Uh, and this this is reducing effective numbers. Yeah, and we're all we're all about teams. And if you know if you for whatever reason you become non-effective, then you are a huge part of the team lost. How does a major general leave? How do I physically leave? No, what are you going to do? How does it work? How does that, how does that goodbye, the long goodbye work? Well, I'm going to, I'm going to, um, well, hand over my job. Um, so I'll hand over a job to someone coming in behind me and make sure that's in good yeah, order. Talking about the fun stuff. Santos is great. They're going to very kindly dine me out, it's called, where I'll have a big dinner and they'll say farewell and I'll see all my mates and say goodbye. How big is a big dinner at Sandhurst? Uh, pretty big, yeah. <laughs> pretty big. Looking forward to it. Pretty legendary. Okay, because the thing is, it's on the back of the book. Why, why do army officers make the best wedding planners? I bet they do a great goodbye, do. Well. <laughs> I'll let you know. <laughs> All right, listen, it's a real joy to meet you. Uh, so so proud to have uh, you looking after us. Thank God for you guys. Uh, stand up straight, 10 life lessons from the Royal Military Academy in Sandhurst with Major General Paul Nansen. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky on Virgin Radio. Thank you so much for listening to this, the podcast of the Virgin Radio Breakfast Show. Don't forget you can subscribe and get it every week from wherever you get your podcast and you will never miss the weekly roundup of all the best bits from our Virgin Radio Breakfast Show with Sky. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.